1: Mm-hmm. Wow We're late getting out Must be a lot of commotion going on On the On the airways y'all. We, We've we been trying to get out there For the last 30 minutes George is in a They found themselves in a dog fight with all they was leaving this thing 21 nothing in the fourth quarter Just coasting along Now all of a sudden they're in the dog fight That college football is tricky, y'all you can't you can't lift your foot up off the off the uh pedal not for one minute. Hey George might have that thing, huh? George might have that. George might have this thing. <laughs> George might have this thing. Here we go. Oh uh I, it was a fumble there. Yeah. <laughs> that ball's loose. That's anybody's ball. I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough game. Uh, Georgia leading 21-14, four minutes to go. Yeah, but it's anybody's game, here. Yeah. Hey, y'all, uh, welcome to the Hushmore Black Forum. Where you got me, Hushmore, driving the train this evening, y'all? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, one of those things, uh, fourth and five right now, though. They got to come up with a plate. I'm come over and play right here. Joy's gonna get this thing back, out. Uh, they better run that thing out. I know that. <laughs> they better run that thing out if they, <laughs> it's four five right now. They better run that thing out. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh what's up, Facebook friends got a gotta call in here? one eight 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 five eight eight three eight one four. Free call in to the national y'all. Hey, we uh, 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 oh boy, they they lost containment there. Let that boy out again, Georgia. You got to What are they doing?
2: Okay, oh they got four down. And let the let the boy escape.
1: let him escape like that. Hey y'all, um, I'm multitasking out here. <laughs> it's Saturday's his it football, y'all. We've been at, hey Alabama, y'all. I told you uh, last week that boy should have been playing a tour. Same thing happened this week. They sent the guy back in tour. Tour got uh was uh, thirty-five uh, to seven the first half. They sent him back in with two minutes ago when they got the other quarterback ready to come in. Tua gets hurt on the next uh, set of downs, uh, messed his foot up. Messed his foot up. Messed his foot up. He might be out for the rest of the year. His career is in danger. This is, this is crazy. This is so crazy, y'all. This is really crazy. That boy' foot is messed. His hip. He's got a hip injury. Looked like one of those uh, Bo Jackson type injuries. This thing is crazy. Crazy, 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 y'all. Yeah, his foot's on the line. His foot's on the out-of-bounce line there. That ain't no good. His foot's on the out-of-bounce line. Take that back. Yeah, he on the sideline, y'all. Hey, but, uh, yeah, that boy's career might be gone, yeah, because of the coach. I told you, I I told told people uh, last week, that boy from his father, he ain't playing about another time. He's out of bounds.
2: He's out of bounds.
1: Yeah, he's out of bounds there. (laughs) Yeah, he's out of bounds. He's on the out-of-bounds line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bring that ball back. Hey, but uh, yeah, two of the quarterback from Alabama, that boy, uh, ooh, his career might be gone, y'all, because it looks like one of those type of injuries that Bo Jackson got. I'm just saying, I don't know that. Uh, Hey, I don't know that. I I know one thing. It looks scary. It's it's a scary-looking situation, y'all. I do know that. And I blame the coach. I'm blaming Lou Saban on that. Lou, Lou Saban had no business even having the boy in the game today, the period. mm I'm blaming Lou Sabin on that, y'all. He had no business. He, having no, he had no business with that guy in that game. Mm-hmm. And uh, if his career is gone, I'm suing Alabama. Shoot. I'm suing the coach and everybody else, that boy's parents, and folks from Hawaii, what kind of influence they got, I don't know. But I know one thing. He's jeopardizing that boy's whole career by having him out there like that. He's college, uh, uh, don't cut it about you. You ain't nothing but a piece of meat, you know. Yeah, he came down out of bounds. Out of bounds, yeah, that's all. Yeah. now <laughs> we Wow. This is this is tough, yeah. That Yeah, this is tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen in this game, but uh, uh, yeah, that boy at Alabama, that quarterback's career may be over. Hey y'all, y'all been watching the impeachment uh, inquiry? This thing is crazy, y'all. <laughs> this thing is crazy, crazy. <clears throat> it's getting crazier too. Yeah, it's getting crazy and crazy, y'all. Yeah. Uh, fourth and two. So they need to stop right here. They need to stop in the worst way. <clears throat>
2: Oh, jaws the ball.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. has yeah. got that ball. that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Oh, uh, he made a, oh, God, all I got to do is hit that, uh, throw the ball in there. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, just throw the balls to the boy. hmm Yeah, they don't want, uh <clears throat> yeah, y'all been watching the impeachment things. yeah. That's crazy. The president uh, seemed like to me it was intimidating a, a waitress, uh witness. There to that's just my own observation, y'all. <laughs> that's just my own observation. It looked like to me uh, the president called Red right in and intimidated the witness while the lady was testifying. That should be a law there, y'all. That should be some kind of law. I don't care. That should be some kind of law there against uh, intimidation, uh, intimidating a witness. Here the president of the United States, uh this lowly uh level employee of the government, uh he uh saw fit to uh to basically uh well she lady said she felt threatened, yeah. That lady said she felt threatened and been uh, uh, under threat for the last three or four months. They snatched her out of uh, Ukraine, uh in the middle of the night, talking about uh she needed to get on the next plane, uh the next plane out of there. horse safety might be in jeopardy. What what what, what kinda of, what's going on here in the country, That some summer, something is crazy about that. Hmm. Some some is crazy, crazy about that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Why is it that this uh, uh, ambassador in one of the most dangerous posts that an ambassador can serve in over there in uh, Ukraine in the middle of a war between Ukraine and Russia, and uh, she's got to be threatened uh, uh from her own government from her own country, <laughs> she feel under threat from her own country some is some is crazy somebody need, somebody need to uh, uh ask for that well I guess that's what this impeachment is all about yeah somebody's got to answer for that now it just don't make no sense not to uh to let uh, uh to let this go uncounted for somebody's got to Somebody's got to answer for this. Yeah, because it's crazy. It don't make no sense <clears throat> that uh, this is not accounted for.
2: Oh boy, what in the world is that? <laughs>
1: I know where is that? Wow, Georgia
2: What in the world was that? I don't know.
1: I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> This is a heck of a game, yeah. But anyway, just get back to uh, our ambassador over there. Somebody needs to be held accountable for putting the sleeve through what she's been through. Uh, maybe they will. I don't know. Hey, y'all, you got me, Hushmo out here driving this train this evening. You know what our motto is to do it bigger, to do it better, to do it louder than anybody out here on Blog Talker. Uh, we, uh, yeah huh uh yeah it was crazy and crazy uh, where are you going man the ball can't be way up there I can probably be way up there
2: huh
1: Wow, who got is there any time out? <clears throat> hmm. I don't know. I'm trying to watch the last of this game here. Y'all. We're going to take a quick pause for it calls. Uh, it's about, uh, I don't know, 20 after 7. you hang hanging out. We'll be back. Be right back. You got me, Hushmo, driving this train this evening. Yeah. They pulled it out 21-7. It got kind of crazy for three or four minutes. It got kind of crazy for about four minutes there in the fourth quarter. Auburn scored two touchdowns.
2: win. George's
1: got to win at all and oldest. A good football game, let me cut it off and get into my show now y'all hey we finished with this game here we're gonna <laughs> we got hey well it's, it's a lot of things going on in the world y'all they they done uh, opening these hearings up uh into this uh impeachment inquiry Boy, they had some riveting uh uh television uh this week did y'all, did y'all uh, watch any of the anybody well, I know the peanut gallery hey, ain't so much. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's some crazy stuff going on, y'all. Yeah. But uh, now I know the president's going to get impeached. I don't know what they're going to do already in the Senate when they have the trial, though, because uh, this is, uh, he's definitely going to get impeached. What's going to happen from there, I don't know. I don't know, but, uh, yeah. They got a taking a picture with Fromm like that. I don't
2: know what that was about.
1: a big dude, Tree on a walk. That boy's a freshman, six five, two sixty.
2: Whoa. <clears> this <throat> is a tough game here.
1: That is a tough game, yeah, um this is uh, the first week of the lab uh Televised uh, uh, part of this uh, impeachment inquiry, and I think they got another week to go. I got four or five witnesses coming in next week, but as far as I'm concerned, the uh, the House of Representatives they have enough uh, enough material, enough evidence to go forward with a uh, uh, an impeachment. Uh, well, to present it to the Intelligence uh, Committee. To uh, draw up uh, the articles of impeachment and send it over to uh, send it to the House for for a vote. From there, I mean, uh, send this thing to the Senate, let the Senate do uh, what they want to do with Miss McConnell and the board. But yeah, I mean, this some of this stuff we're, that's being revealed here is scary. Just how this government is being operated, you uh, It's n nothing short of scary. Where you gonna threaten? <laughs> your own citizen, uh, because you want uh, a foreign government <laughs> to do some dirt for you. And this this is and you got three lynchmen or henchmen <laughs> running around uh with some kind of shadow uh <clears throat> shadow government going on uh, outside of uh the State Department. State Department said they don't know nothing about it. How is it that uh, Rudy, uh, Rudy Giuliani and Sodom and what's the third character, uh, the two uh, Russians, <laughs> running around conducting uh, foreign policy? Giuliani ain't got no security clearance. Why, how do you even get, why is he even talking to the president? How, do, how can he even get in the White House? I don't know. Something is crazy about this thing here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Something's crazy about this. Something something's crazy about this old thing, yeah. And it's getting crazier and crazier. It's getting crazier and crazier too. I uh I certainly have never seen uh anything like it. I haven't seen anything like it. Not in my what? How long I've been following politics? I've been following politics for fifty plus years. Husband <laughs> don't want to date himself, but I've been I've been I've been following politics for fifty fifty plus years, you I want to hear what they got to say about this. Yeah. I don't
2: know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, it's too late. Yeah?
2: Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah.
1: She Oh, that's junk. He shouldn't have been in there. I don't know. He should not have been in that game. I don't know. I still say that guy should not have been in that game, and I'm blaming the coach. I'm blaming that coach. No way! No way should he had that guy in there. No way that guy should have been in the game. They come up with all this craziness. They come up with all this craziness. Yeah, I see what your state looked like. Ellison ain't no joke, y'all. That guy's on his back. That guy's on his back. No, what are I Kay? That guy's on that guy's back. Hey y'all! I don't know. I'm just talking. I'm trying to see what Georgia State looked like. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know y'all. I just hope that boy's gonna be all right down that Alabama. Doesn't all right. He should have. He should have been in that game. They know he shouldn't have been in that game. Everybody talking crazy, talking about this is football. That's not just football. The guy shouldn't have been in there. Period. He should have not been in that game at that point. Yeah. Well, the Bulldogs got to win. It wasn't pretty. But we'll take
2: it. Go the state ain't no joke. Jose ain't no
1: joke yet. Jose State ain't no joke. Yet. What? I going to say, it ain't no joke. I want to see. I want to see that boy Ellis throw that ball. I want to see that boy Ellis throw that ball. What's that about? What's that about?
2: Get out your way. Uh, I don't know what that was. I
1: don't
2: know what that was, yeah. Hey, we, uh, Just costing long out of the CMA. Ain't too much going on. What's up? Huh? Yeah, I don't know. I know one thing. They, uh, <laughs> we, uh, was
1: trying to wait to, uh, get the readout on uh the uh closed door hearings uh today but uh all all roles, all roads lead to Rome, y'all. The Democrats uh, they don't have to do too much uh just uh take the evidence they got take the evidence they got send it over to the uh judici Judiciary Committee <laughs> and let them draw that thing up and uh, send that thing on to the Senate, yeah. Yeah, send it on to the Senate because uh, this don't look like much of a case uh, uh, or at least the President don't look like he have much of a case not in terms of defending uh, that's just um, abuse of power, yeah. That's just plain old abuse of power. Along with a shakedown. We knew it was a shakedown. With well, abuse of power is what I'm going to get in for. Along with it. Just a plain old shakedown. That street talk. Uh, bribery, this quid pro quo and all that stuff. <laughs> this is just a plain old shakedown. That's what it is. <laughs> hey, hey. we we got we got somebody on the line holding on. Hey, we're just going to call it what it is. Uh, this is a plain old shakedown. That's all it is. Can't be nothing else. I mean, if they don't understand, if the American people don't understand this fancy Latin term, quid pro quo, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the hospital put it in some street term. Yeah, that's a plain old shakedown, yeah. That's a plain old shakedown, that's what that is. <laughs> yeah. It uh it don't get no plain on that, yeah. They might have to lock this guy up. They might have to go in that White House and put the president in a straitjacket and get him up out of there. I don't think he go uh, come out of there quietly. He gonna come out of there kicking and screaming. If <laughs> the Senate convicts that Joker, uh, he go <laughs> he go come out of the White House kicking and screaming. They go out to send the US Marshal in there and put a straitjacket jacket on it. And drag him out of there. If he's convicted in the Senate, I don't know what's gonna happen over there. We, Miss McCone, and the boys—they don't tell her what uh, might happen. But uh, if he—if he's convicted, he's—he's he's gonna have to uh, uh, come out of that place kicking and screaming, y'all, because this. This joker don't seem like he's the one that uh, just going to do anything right. (laughs) And he's he's got got a right to free speech. You ain't got no right to intimidate nobody, do you? If you're the president, why are you intimidating a lowly uh, uh, ambassador? That's crazy. It don't make sense. Well, to me it don't. Uh, well, we to see what the American people think because uh, the election is coming up next uh, next November. I can't imagine that uh, the American people uh, is going to stand for four more years of this. What we got here, y'all. The more, even if we don't get no uh, impeachment or removal from office, just the fact that we are uncovering so much uh, dirt uh, on uh, how this uh, administration is conducting uh, the affairs of uh, this country. is simply scary. Huh? It's just simply scary. Uh, you know, I guess it's simply scary. So, we uh, really, don't you know. No. Let me see. Mm-mm. Okay, get back to the game. Yeah. There's a big dude around the ball. Hey, uh, we're going to take another pause for the calls here. You got me Hushmo. I'll be right back.
0: Advocating on your behalf, you're listening to the Hushmore Black Forum. Tell your friends about us. Saturdays, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Right here in cyberspace. Thank you.
1: Uh, yeah. All right. I've been looking at uh, Georgia State. Yeah, Georgia State got a pretty good football team. Quite as a, quite as a skip. Yeah. Ah, uh, they got a pretty good football team. They got a pretty good football team. That's mm-hmm. just my summation area. i don't know i like what i see there let's just tape yeah i will go back and watch that later on i gotta get back to my get back to my program here yeah i smell been big goof and all <laughs> hey y'all what's up hey i tell you what uh Uh, that's some pretty sharp people working for uh for the government, uh, It's just a shame. Uh, this administration we've got is uh is trying to uh is not trying to dragging uh the country down in such a haphazard uh, way. Uh that uh and by the time uh, we finish with this first uh, uh, term of this administration, they will have get it, the entire government. They would have got damn near get it. <laughs> hey, they would have damn near get it, y'all. This... Uh, this entire this this whole government here, y'all. I mean, they they've done serious damage, y'all, and putting in these crazy judges. This character that they uh, got pushed through there um, yesterday is some is somebody better wake up here before uh, we wind up back on the plantation, y'all. <laughs> so you, uh, Peter girls, today going back to no plantation. Hey, I'm just saying, y'all better wake up. Y'all better wake up. This is ever serious, y'all. These are trying times here we're living in. Hey. These are trying times, y'all. Y'all don't know? Hey, you better ask somebody. Hey, you
2: better ask somebody if you don't know. Yeah. We, uh,
1: we got glued to that uh, impeachment thing there and was in front of the TV for two solid days, y'all. <laughs> we, we, we didn't move up in front of that TV for two days watching that stuff. I mean, it was really quite crazy, you know. I mean, yeah. But well, first of all, we don't have that many impeachments in this country. That's a rarity. We only had three. Well four but tricky dick uh Richard Nixon, he resigned before he, so really this is only our third one that's you know so I don't think I don't think Donald Trump's gonna resign, but he might be forced into it. He might be forced into it and hope uh Pence give him a part <laughs> on the federal stuff. But uh yeah. But I, I don't know. This guy I I don't know. I that would that'd be probably what I would do. If I was president and was staring down uh, uh the barrel of uh what he's staring down, I I'd I'd wait until uh <laughs> this thing got ready to go to the Senate, and I'm out of there. I see y'all later. Turn this thing over the fence, let him give you a pardon. That's gonna be the best way out. Or the that's gonna be the safest landing for the president, I believe, yeah. What y'all think? Hey, we've got a free call in one eight 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 five eight eight three eight one four. That's a free call in to the Hushville platform. We don't take many calls out here, but we will. We'll take a call or two. Yeah, if you got something to talk about. We uh what we do out here is advocate advocate for social justice on behalf of Americans of African descent. Not because we don't love everybody, we do. Just by extension we find ourselves advocating for that community. Lord, no, I know. We did all the advocacy we can get now, yeah. Yeah. Roger Stone, yeah. Just got found guilty. This I don't know what ninth or tenth uh character that's working with Trump. Hey, this guy needs to. Uh, this guy needs to. Uh, uh, this uh, character, Steve Miller. This guy ain't nothing but a Nazi, yeah? Huh? And he run the president's foreign policy. He's 33 years old. He's running the government, <laughs> and a Nazi. Hey, this is crazy, you huh? This is so crazy. This is crazy, crazy. Well, what have we got here running the country, you huh? Sutherland said Trump doesn't give a SH about <laughs> Ukraine. All he care about is the big stuff.
3: The man said, well, we
1: got some big stuff going on. we got a war going on. He said, no, we're talking about the investment of the Biden. <laughs> uh. If you're president of the United States, Why are you going back (laughs) trying to dig up dirt on something that's not even relevant to you being president? Why is... I don't understand, y'all. What is it that uh, drives this guy? You're president of the United States. What are you trying to do? What what are you trying to get accomplished here (laughs) by going to Ukraine, shaking the president of Ukraine down? (laughs) For some... for some craziness, hey, uh, we better wake up. People better wake up. What's that? Uh, yeah, I wrote this book, y'all. Uh, uh, and it's so... What's the name of this book that this guy wrote? It is so crazy. Uh. I said it's crazy, but it's really not crazy. So uh, apropos, on tyranny, Timothy, what's that guy's name? Timothy what? History and tyranny. History does not repeat, but it does instruct, as the founding fathers debate, our Constitution. They took instruction from the history. They knew concerned that the Democratic Republic they envisioned would collapse. They contemplated and contemplated the descent of ancient democracies and republics into oligarchy and empires. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's what this guy is trying to establish. He's trying to become some kind of oligarch. Donald Trump, he want to be an oligarch? <laughs> hey, you he need to move to Russia, boy. If that's what he wants, you are going be an oligarch move to Russia. This is a democratic republic. That's what we got here in this country, a democratic republic. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, that ain't even all true. We definitely got a republic because we got a constitution. But uh, that democratic democracy part of it is still up in the air. That's still up in the air, yeah. Yeah, we uh coming up on Thanksgiving, yeah. Well, a couple of weeks. It's November sixteenth. By the way, I don't think the hush even tell you is November sixteenth, yeah. Twenty nineteen. This year is getting away from it. A Couple more weeks is uh Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving is wow. Coming up on us. Thanksgiving is coming up on us, you yeah. We've got to, uh, uh, we've got, we've got to, uh, um, bedding down the hatches because the winter's coming in too, y'all. Yeah. Well, it got cold around in the ATL. It was in the was it, in the high 30s one day last week, 39, something like that. But it was cold, y'all. I mean, it was cold here in the ATL. You know, we ain't used to that. We don't do that here. Now, folks up there in Ohio, that's what they do. I was talking to someone, brother in law, somebody up there the other day. He told me, oh, it's 30 degrees. Hey, that's what y'all do up there in the o- OH10. Okay, you can't. Okay. Yeah, that's what y'all do up there. You can't be complaining about the weather in Ohio. Right off Lake Erie. <laughs> hey, it's winter. It's, it's almost wintertime, y'all. Y'all can't be complaining about no weather. Tomorrow it's cold. It's supposed to be cold in Ohio. That's what the weather is up there now. I don't even know. I ain't looked at the weather in a while, but yeah, they, they they was up there complaining about the weather being it's cold. Yeah, it's cold. You're in Ohio. <clears throat> it's gonna be cold up there. Yeah, huh? It uh, like I said, it got cold here too. But you know, nothing like, uh, nothing like, uh, nothing like uh, Ohio's 52 degrees. It's, that's, you know, that's manageable. That's, that's manageable, y'all. Yeah. you talking about, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's manageable there. I don't look like it's going to get too much cold. Uh-oh. Let's see, Akron, A K O N. Akron. That's thirty-one degrees up there in, the, in Akron. So, yeah, feel like twenty-seven. But well, ain't that much between thirty-one and twenty-seven. Both of those temperatures are cold. Yeah. Both of those. T- Degrees Fahrenheit. It's cold. 3127. Once you get below 32, everything is cold. You get below 32 degrees out there, everything is cold. Yeah. There ain't no doubt. I don't know what year it is. But yeah, uh, winter's, winter's getting ready to set in. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Winter, winter's closing in on us. It's closing in on the show. That's that's the problem. Mm-hmm. But like I said, that uh, that's that's the change of season, yeah. It's supposed to be, you know, what you're looking for. You can't be looking for another in November. You got to be looking for uh, a
2: winner. What else could you be looking for? It's a winner.
1: Okay. I was going to say, you're talking about you got to be looking for winner and winner.
2: What what is it? 2015. Okay.
1: Hey, uh, we, uh, we kind of just, uh, we ain't got much traffic today. What's up, Peanut Gallery? Y'all yeah, still with us? Oh, hey, somebody <laughs> put I mean, a joke on the show. Hey, are we still here? We, uh... We just drifted in and out. No, we did had somebody on the line, but uh, they checked out on us this evening. I was just telling you about own tyranny. spoke book by Timothy. Timothy's last name. Um, Uh, Timothy Snyder on tyranny. So when the citizens let their guards down, uh, when the citizens let their guards down, uh, it's an opportunity for tyrants to uh, slip in and take over the country. And that that is pretty much almost what is what has happened here, yeah. I now I think the people is are awake now. But uh this thing got crazy. This thing got crazy, y'all. This thing is still crazy. But at least we've got uh we've got one side of the Congress up trying to make a stand uh, on the people's behalf. Uh, cause we almost fell asleep, y'all. Yeah? We almost fell asleep, and uh, (laughs) we woke up. The country woke up just in time, because yeah, about uh, uh, the country woke up just in time. Yeah, this thing was almost out of hand. This thing was just about to get out of hand. Here you got some 12, <laughs> 12 of the president's cabinets been indicted or ran out of town. Six of them in jail, only way to jail. And uh, here we got the president talking about he, <laughs> all he care about is corruption. <laughs> This corruption in, in Ukraine and another country, we got, and he got six of his cabinet members in jail. How does it that he care about corruption in six of his former cabinet members or uh, associates in jail? Uh, that don't. Work. That don't add up, y'all. Something don't add up here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could smell it. I suppose I smell it. A rat. a rat. I can tell a rat now. You, know, you can't pull it up, pull up on the hush, You can't follow This is crazy, yeah. So let's show a
2: little of uh own tyranny.
3: Do not obey in advance. Most of the power of authoritarianism is freely given. In times like these, individuals think ahead about what a more repressive government will want and then offer themselves without being asked. A citizen who adapts in this way is teaching power what it can do. Anticipatory obedience is a political tragedy. Perhaps rulers did not initially know that citizens were willing to compromise this value or that principle. Perhaps a new regime did not at first have the direct means of influencing citizens one way or the other. After the German elections of 1932, which permitted Adolf Hitler to form a government, or the Czechoslovak elections of 1946, when communists were victorious, the next crucial step was anticipatory obedience – because enough people in both cases voluntarily extended their services to the new leaders, Nazis and communists alike realized they could move quickly towards a full regime change. The first heedless acts of conformity could not then be reversed. In early 1938, Adolf Hitler, by then securely in power in Germany, was threatening to annex neighboring Austria. After the Austrian chancellor conceded, It was the Austrians' anticipatory obedience at the sight of the fate of Austrian Jews. Local Austrian Nazis captured Jews and forced them to scrub the streets to remove symbols of independent Austria. Crucially, people who were not Nazis looked on with interest and amusement. Nazis who had kept lists of Jewish property stole what they could. Crucially, others who were not Nazis joined in the theft. As the political theorist Hannah Arendt remembered, when German troops invaded the country and Gentile neighbors started riots at Jewish homes, Austrian Jews began to commit suicide. The anticipatory obedience of Austrians in March 1938 taught the high Nazi leadership what was possible. It was in Vienna that August that Adolf Eichmann established the Central Office for Jewish Immigration. In November 1938, following the Austrian example of March, German Nazis organized a national pogrom known as Kristallnacht. In 1941, when Germany invaded the Soviet Union, the SS took the initiative to devise the methods of mass killing without explicit orders to do so. They guessed what their superiors wanted and demonstrated what was possible. It was far more than Hitler had thought. At the very beginning, anticipatory obedience means adapting instinctively without reflecting to a new situation. Do only Germans do such things? The Yale psychologist Stanley Milgram contemplating Nazi atrocities, wanted to show that there was a particular authoritarian personality that explained why Germans behaved as they had. He devised an experiment to test the proposition, but failed to get permission to carry it out in Germany. So he undertook it instead in a Yale University building in 1961, at around the same time that Adolf Eichmann was being tried in Jerusalem for his part in the Nazi Holocaust of the Jews. Milgram told his subjects, some Yale students, some New Haven residents, that they would be applying an electrical shock to other participants in the experiment about learning. In fact, the people attached to the wires on the other side of a window were in on the scheme with Milgram and only pretended to be shocked. As the subjects thought they shocked, the people they thought were participants in a learning experiment, they saw a horrible sight. People whom they did not know and against whom they had no grievance, seemed to be suffering greatly, pounding the glass and complaining of heart pain. Even so, most subjects followed Milgram's instructions and continued to apply what they thought were ever greater shocks until the victims appeared to die. Even those who did not proceed all the way to the apparent killing of their fellow human beings left without inquiring about the health of the other participants." Milgram grasped that people are remarkably receptive to new rules in a new setting. They are surprisingly willing to harm and kill others in the service of some new purpose if they are so instructed by a new authority. I found so much obedience, Milgram remembered, that I hardly saw the need for taking the experiment to Germany. Lesson two, defend institutions. It is institutions that help us to preserve decency. They need our help as well. Do not speak of our institutions unless you make them yours by acting on their behalf. Institutions do not protect themselves. They fall one after the other unless each is defended from the beginning. So choose an institution you care about, a court, a newspaper, a law, a labor union, and take its side. We tend to assume that institutions will automatically maintain themselves against even the most direct attacks. This was the very mistake that some German Jews made about Hitler and the Nazis after they had formed a government. On February 2nd, 1933, for example, a leading newspaper for German Jews published an editorial expressing this mislaid trust. We do not subscribe to the view that Mr. Hitler and his friends, now finally in possession of the power they have so long desired will implement the proposals circulating in Nazi newspapers, they will not suddenly deprive German Jews of their constitutional rights, nor enclose them in ghettos, nor subject them to the jealous and murderous impulses of the mob. They cannot do this because a number of crucial factors hold powers in check, and they clearly do not want to go down that road. When one acts as a European power, the whole atmosphere tends towards ethical reflection upon one's better self and away from revisiting one's earlier oppositional posture. Such was the view of many reasonable people in 1933, just as it is the view of many reasonable people now. The mistake is to assume that rulers who came to power through institutions cannot change or destroy those very institutions, even when that is exactly what they have announced that they will do. Revolutionaries sometimes do intend to destroy institutions all at once, This was the approach of the Russian Bolsheviks. Sometimes institutions are deprived of vitality and function, turned into a simulacrum of what they once were, so that they gird the new order rather than resisting it. This is what the Nazis called Gleichschaltung. It took less than a year for the new Nazi order to consolidate. By the end of 1933, Germany had become a one-party state in which all major institutions had been humbled. That November... German authorities held parliamentary elections without opposition and a referendum on an issue where the correct answer was known to confirm the new order. Some German Jews voted, as the Nazi leaders wanted them to, in the hope that this gesture of loyalty would bind the new system to them. That was a vain hope. Lesson three, the wear the one party state. The parties that remade states and suppressed rivals were not omnipotent from the start. They exploited the historic moment to make political life impossible for their opponents. So support the multi-party system and defend the rules of democratic elections. Vote in local and state elections while you can. Consider running for office. Thomas Jefferson probably never said that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty but other Americans of his era certainly did. When we think of the saying today, we imagine our own righteous vigilance directed outward against misguided and hostile others. We see ourselves as a city on the hill, a stronghold of democracy, looking out for threats that come from abroad. But the sense of the saying was entirely different, that human nature is such that American democracy must be defended from Americans who would exploit its freedoms to bring about its end. The American abolitionist Wendell Phillips did, in fact, say that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. He added that the manna of popular liberty must be gathered each day or it is rotten. The record of modern European democracy confirmed the wisdom of those words. The 20th century saw earnest attempts to extend the franchise and establish durable democracies. Yet the democracies that arose after the First World War and the Second – often collapse when a single party sees power in some combination of an election and a coup d'etat. A party emboldened by a favorable election result or motivated by ideology or both might change the system from within. When fascists or Nazis or communists did well in elections in the 1930s or 1940s, what followed was some combination of spectacle, repression, and salami tactics, slicing off layers of opposition one by one. Most people were distracted, some were imprisoned, and others were outmatched. The hero of a David Lodge novel says that you don't know when you make love for the last time, that you are making love for the last time. Voting is like that. Some of the Germans who voted for the Nazi party in 1932 no doubt understood that this might be the last meaningfully free election for some time, but most did not. Some of the Czechs and Slovaks who voted for the Czechoslovak Communist Party in 1946, probably realized they were voting for the end of democracy, but most assumed they would have another chance. No doubt the Russians who voted in 1990 did not think that this would be the last free and fair election in their country's history, which thus far it has been. Any election can be the last, or at least the last in the lifetime of the person casting the vote. The Nazis remained in power until they lost a World War in 1945, the Czechoslovak communists, until their system collapsed in 1989. The Russian oligarchy established after the 1990 elections continues to function and promotes a foreign policy designed to destroy democracy elsewhere. Does the history of tyranny apply to the United States? Certainly the early Americans who spoke of eternal vigilance would have thought so. The logic of the system they devised was to mitigate the consequences of our real imperfections, not to celebrate our imaginary perfection. We certainly face, as did the ancient Greeks, the problem of oligarchy, ever more threatening as globalization increases differences in wealth. The odd American idea that giving money to political campaigns is free speech means that the very rich have far more speech, and so in effect far more voting power than other citizens. We believe that we have checks and balances, but have rarely faced a situation like the present when the less popular of the two parties controls every lever of power at the federal level, as well as the majority of state houses. Thomas Jefferson probably never said that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, but other Americans of his era certainly did. When we think of the same today, we imagine our own righteous vigilance directed outward against misguided and hostile others. We see ourselves as a city on the hill, a stronghold of democracy looking out for threats that come from abroad. But the sense of the saying was entirely different, that human nature is such that American democracy must be defended from Americans who would exploit its freedoms to bring about its end. The American abolitionist Wendell Phillips did in fact say that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. He added, unfore, take responsibility in a vote. The Nazis remained in power until they lost a the world war in 1945 the Czechoslovak communists, until their system collapsed in 1989. The Russian oligarchy established after the 1990 elections continues to function and promotes a foreign policy designed to destroy democracy elsewhere. Does the history of tyranny apply to the United States? Certainly the early Americans who spoke of eternal vigilance would have thought so. The logic of the system they devised was to mitigate the consequences of our real imperfections, not to celebrate our imaginary perfection. We certainly face, as did the ancient Greeks, the problem of oligarchy, ever more threatening as globalization increases differences in wealth. The odd American idea that giving money to political campaigns is free speech means that the very rich have far more speech, and so in effect far more voting power than other citizens. We believe that we have checks and balances, but have rarely faced a situation like the present. When the less popular of the two parties controls every lever of power at the federal level, as well as the majority of state houses, the party that exercises such control proposes few policies that are popular with the society at large, and several that are generally unpopular, and thus must either fear democracy or weaken it. Another early American proverb held that, where annual elections end, tyranny begins. Will we in retrospect, see the elections of 2016 much as Russians see the elections of 1990 or Czechs the elections of 1946 or Germans the elections of 1932? This, for now, depends upon us. Much needs to be done to fix the gerrymandered system so that each citizen has one equal vote and so that each vote can be simply counted by a fellow citizen. We need paper ballots, because they cannot be tampered with remotely and can always be recounted. This sort of work can be done at the local and state levels. We can be sure that the elections of 2018, assuming they take place, will be a test of American traditions. So there is much to do in the meantime. Lesson four, take responsibility for the face of the world. The symbols of today enable the reality of tomorrow. Notice the swastikas and other signs of hate. Do not look away and do not get used to them. Remove them yourself and set an example for others to do so. Life is political, not because the world cares about how you feel, but because the world reacts to what you do. The minor choices we make are themselves a kind of vote, making it more or less likely that free and fair elections will be held in the future. In the politics of the everyday, our words and gestures or their absence count very much. A few extreme and less extreme examples from the 20th century can show us how. In the Soviet Union, under the rule of Joseph Stalin, prosperous farmers were portrayed on propaganda posters as pigs, a dehumanization That, in a rural setting, clearly suggests slaughter. This was in the early 1930s, as the Soviet state tried to master the countryside and extract capital for crash industrialization. The peasants who had more land or livestock than others were the first to lose what they had. A neighbor portrayed as a pig is someone whose land you can take. But those who followed the symbolic logic became victims in their turn, having turned the poor peasants against the richer, Soviet power then seized everyone's land for the new collective farms. Collectivization, when completed, brought starvation to much of the Soviet peasantry. Millions of people in Soviet Ukraine, Soviet Kazakhstan, and Soviet Russia died horrible and humiliating deaths between 1930 and 1933. Before it was over, Soviet citizens were butchering corpses for human meat. In 1933... As the starvation in the USSR reached its height, the Nazi party came to power in Germany. In the euphoria of victory, Nazis tried to organize a boycott of Jewish shops. This was not very successful at first, but the practice of marking one firm as Jewish and another as Aryan with paint on the windows or walls did affect the way Germans thought about household economics. A shop marked Jewish had no future. It became an object of covetous plans. As property was marked as ethnic, envy transformed ethics. If shops could be Jewish, what about other companies and properties? The wish that Jews might disappear, perhaps suppressed at first, rose as it was leavened by greed. Thus, the Germans who marked shops as Jewish participated in the process by which Jews really did disappear, as did people who simply looked on. Accepting the markings as a natural part of the urban landscape was already a compromise with a murderous future. You might one day be offered the opportunity to display symbols of loyalty. Make sure that such symbols include your fellow citizens rather than exclude them. Even the history of lapel pens is far from innocent. In Nazi Germany in 1933... People wore lapel pins that said yes during the elections and referendum that confirmed the one party state. In Austria in 1938, people who had not previously been Nazis began to wear swastika pins. What might seem like a gesture of pride can be a source of exclusion. In the Europe of the 1930s and 1940s, some people chose to wear swastikas, and then others had to wear yellow stars. The late history of communism when no one believed in the revolution anymore, offers a final lesson about symbols. Even when citizens are demoralized and wish only to be left alone, public markers can still sustain a tyrannical regime. When Czechoslovak communists won elections in 1946 and then proceeded to claim full power after a coup in 1948, many Czechoslovak citizens were euphoric. When the dissident thinker Vaclav Havel wrote The Power of the Powerless, Three decades later, in 1978, he was explaining the continuity of an oppressive regime in whose goals and ideology few people still believed. He offered a parable of a greengrocer who places a sign reading, Workers of the World Unite, in his shop window. It is not that the man actually endorses the content of this quotation from the Communist Manifesto. He places the sign in his window so that he can withdraw into daily life Without trouble from the authorities. When everyone else follows the same logic, the public sphere is covered with signs of loyalty and resistance becomes unthinkable. As Havel put it, we have seen that the real meaning of the greengrocer slogan has nothing to do with what the text of the slogan actually says. Even so, the real meaning is quite clear and generally comprehensible because the code is so familiar. The greengrocer declares his loyalty in the only way the regime is capable of hearing, that is, by accepting the prescribed ritual, by accepting appearances as reality, by accepting the given rules of the game, thus making it possible for the game to go on, for it to exist in the first place. And what happens, asked Havel, if no one plays the game? Lesson five. Remember professional ethics. When political leaders set a negative example, professional commitments to just practice become more important. It is hard to subvert a rule of law state without lawyers or to hold show trials without judges. Authoritarians need obedient civil servants and concentration camp directors seek businessmen interested in cheap labor. Before the Second World War, a man named Hans Frank was Hitler's personal lawyer. After Germany invaded Poland in 1939, Frank became the governor general of occupied Poland, a German colony where millions of Jews and other Polish citizens were murdered. He once boasted that there were not enough trees to make the paper for posters that would be needed to announce all of the executions. Frank claimed that law was meant to serve the race, and so what seemed good for the race was therefore the law. With arguments like this, German lawyers could convince themselves that laws and rules were there to serve their projects of conquest and destruction, rather than to hinder them. The man Hitler chose to oversee the annexation of Austria, Arthur Seiss Inquart, was a lawyer who later ran the occupation of the Netherlands. Lawyers were vastly overrepresented among the commanders of the Einsatzgruppen, the special task forces who carried out the mass murder of Jews Gypsies, Polish elites, communists, the handicapped, and others. German and other physicians took part in ghastly medical experiments in the concentration camps. Businessmen from IG Farben and other German firms exploited the labor of concentration camp inmates, Jews in ghettos, and prisoners of war. Civil servants, from ministers down to secretaries, oversaw and recorded it all. If lawyers had followed the norm of no execution without trial, If doctors had accepted the rule of no surgery without consent, if businessmen had endorsed the prohibition of slavery, if bureaucrats had refused to handle paperwork involving murder, then the Nazi regime would have been very much harder pressed to carry out the atrocities by which we remember it. Professions can create forms of ethical conversation that are impossible between a lonely individual and a distant government. If members of professions think of themselves as groups with common interests, with norms and rules that oblige them at all times, then they can gain confidence and indeed a certain kind of power. Professional ethics must guide us precisely when we are told that the situation is exceptional. Then there is no such thing as just following orders. If members of the professions confuse their specific ethics with the emotions of the moment, however, they can find themselves saying and doing things that they might previously have thought unimaginable. Lesson six, be wary of paramilitaries. When the men with guns, who have always claimed to be against the system, start wearing uniforms and marching with torches and pictures of a leader, the end is nigh. When the pro-leader paramilitary and the official police and military intermingle, the end has come. Most governments, most of the time, seek to monopolize violence. If only the government can legitimately use force, and this use is constrained by law, then the forms of politics that we take for granted become possible. It is impossible to carry out democratic elections, try cases at court, design and enforce laws, or indeed manage any of the other quiet business of government when agencies beyond the state also have access to violence. For just this reason… People and parties who wish to undermine democracy and the rule of law create and fund violent organizations that involve themselves in politics. Such groups can take the form of a paramilitary wing of a political party, the personal bodyguard of a particular politician, or apparently spontaneous citizens' initiatives, which usually turn out to have been organized by a party or its leader. Armed groups first degrade a political order and then transform it. Violent right-wing groups such as the Iron Guard in interwar Romania or the Arrow Cross in interwar Hungary intimidated their rivals. Nazi stormtroopers began as a security detail, clearing the halls of Hitler's opponents during his rallies. As paramilitaries known as the SA and the SS, they created a climate of fear that helped the Nazi party in the parliamentary elections of 1932 and 1933. In Austria 1938, It was the local SA that quickly took advantage of the absence of the usual local authority to loot, beat, and humiliate Jews, thereby changing the rules of politics and preparing the way for the Nazi takeover of the country. It was the SS that ran the German concentration camps, lawless zones where ordinary rules did not apply. During the Second World War, the SS extended the lawlessness it had pioneered in the camps to whole European countries under German occupation. The SS began as an organization outside the law, became an organization that transcended the law, and ended up as an organization that undid the law. Because the American federal government uses mercenaries in warfare and American state governments pay corporations to run prisons, the use of violence in the United States is already highly privatized. What is novel is a president who wishes to maintain, while in office, a personal security force which during his campaign used force against dissenters. As a candidate, the president ordered a private security detail to clear opponents from rallies, but also encouraged the audience itself to remove people who expressed different views. A protester would first be greeted with boos, then with frenetic cries of USA, and then be forced to leave the rally. At one campaign rally, the candidate said, there's a remnant left over. Maybe get the remnant out. Get the remnant out. The crowd, taking its cue, then tried to root out other people who might be dissenters, all the while crying USA. The candidate interjected, Isn't this more fun than a regular boring rally? To me, it's fun. This kind of mob violence was meant to transform the political atmosphere, and it did. For violence to transform not just the atmosphere but also the system, the emotions of rallies, and the ideology of exclusion – Have to be incorporated into the training of armed guards. These first challenge the police and military, then penetrate the police and military, and finally transform the police and military. And seven, be reflective. If you must be armed, if you carry a weapon in public service, may God bless you and keep you. But know that evils of the past involve policemen and soldiers finding themselves one day. Doing irregular things. Be ready to say no. Authoritarian regimes usually include a special riot police force whose task is to disperse citizens who seek to protest, and a secret state police force whose assignments include the murder of dissenters and others designated as enemies. And indeed, we find forces of the latter kind deeply involved in the great atrocities of the 20th century, such as the Great Terror in the Soviet Union of 1937 to 1938, and the Holocaust of European Jews perpetrated by Nazi Germany in 1941 to 1945. Yet we make a great mistake if we imagine that the Soviet NKVD or the Nazi SS acted without support. Without the assistance of regular police forces and sometimes regular soldiers, they could not have killed on such a large scale. In the Great Terror in the Soviet Union, NKVD officers recorded 682,691 executions of supposed enemies of the state, most of them peasants or members of national minorities. Perhaps no organ of violence has ever been more centralized or better organized than the NKVD of those years. A small number of men carried out the neck shots, which meant that certain NKVD officers had thousands of political murders on their consciences. Even so, they could not possibly have carried out this campaign without the assistance of local police forces, legal professionals, and civil servants throughout the Soviet Union. The Great Terror took place during a state of exception that required all policemen to subordinate themselves to the NKVD and its special tasks. The policemen were not the principal perpetrators, but they provided the indispensable manpower. When we think of the Nazi Holocaust of the Jews we imagine Auschwitz and mechanized impersonal death. This was a convenient way for Germans to remember the Holocaust, since they could claim that few of them had known exactly what had happened behind those gates. In fact, the Holocaust began not in the death facilities, but over shooting pits in Eastern Europe. And indeed, some of the commanders of the Einsatzgruppen, the German task forces that perpetrated some of the murders, were tried at Nuremberg and later in West German courts. But even these trials were a kind of minimization of the scale of the crime. Not the SS commanders alone, but essentially all of the thousands of men who served under their command were murderers. And this was just the beginning. Every large-scale shooting action of the Holocaust, more than 33,000 Jews murdered outside Kiev, more than 28,000 outside Riga, And on and on, involved the regular German police. All in all, regular policemen murdered more Jews than the Einsatzgruppen. Many of them had no special preparation for this task. They found themselves in an unknown land, they had their orders, and they did not want to look weak. In the rare cases when they refused those orders to murder Jews, policemen were not punished. Some killed from murderous conviction, but many others who killed. We're just afraid to stand out. Other forces were at work besides conformism. But without the conformists, the great atrocities would have been impossible. Lesson eight, stand out. Someone has to. It is easy to follow along. It can feel strange to do or say something different. But without that unease, there is no freedom. Remember Rosa Parks. The moment you set an example, the spell of the status quo is broken and others will follow. After the Second World War, Europeans, Americans, and others created myths of righteous resistance to Hitler. In the 1930s, however, the dominant attitudes had been accommodation and admiration. By 1940, most Europeans had made their peace with the seemingly irresistible power of Nazi Germany. Influential Americans, such as Charles Lindbergh, opposed war with the Nazis under the slogan, America First. It is those who were considered exceptional, eccentric, and even insane in their own time, those who did not change when the world around them did, whom we remember and admire today. Well before the Second World War, Numerous European states had abandoned democracy for some form of right wing authoritarianism. Italy became the first fascist state in 1922 and was a military ally of Germany. Hungary, Romania, and Bulgaria had been drawn toward Germany by the promise of trade and territory. In March 1938, none of the great powers offered any resistance as Germany annexed Austria. In September 1938, the great powers, France, Italy and Great Britain, then led by Neville Chamberlain, actually cooperated with Nazi Germany in the partition of Czechoslovakia. In summer 1939, the Soviet Union allied with Nazi Germany and the Red Army joined the Wehrmacht in the invasion of Poland. The Polish government chose to fight, activating agreements that brought Great Britain and France into the war. Germany, supplied with food and fuel by the Soviet Union, Invaded and quickly occupied Norway, the Netherlands, Belgium, and even France in the spring of 1940. The remainder of the British expeditionary force was evacuated from the continent at Dunkirk in late May and early June 1940. When Winston Churchill became Prime Minister in May 1940, Great Britain was alone. The British had won no meaningful battles and had no important allies. They had entered the war to support Poland, a cause that seemed lost. Nazi Germany and its Soviet ally dominated the continent. The Soviet Union had invaded Finland in November 1939, beginning with the bombing of Helsinki. Right after Churchill assumed office, the Soviet Union occupied and annexed the three Baltic states of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. The United States had not entered the war. Adolf Hitler had no special animus toward Britain or its empire and indeed imagined a division of the world into spheres of interest. He expected Churchill to come to terms after the fall of France. Churchill did not. He told the French that, whatever you may do, we shall fight on forever and ever and ever. In June 1940, Churchill told the British Parliament that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. The German Luftwaffe began the bombing of British cities. Hitler expected that this would force Churchill to sign an armistice, but he was mistaken. Churchill later called the air campaign a time when it was equally good to live or die. He spoke of the buoyant and imperturbable temper of Britain, which I had the honor to express. In fact, he himself helped the British to define themselves as a proud people who would calmly resist evil. Other politicians would have found support in British public opinion to end the war. Churchill instead resisted, inspired, and won. The Royal Air Force, including two Polish squadrons and a number of other foreign pilots, held back the Luftwaffe. Without control of the air, even Hitler could not imagine an amphibious assault on Great Britain. Churchill did what others had not done. Rather than concede in advance, he forced Hitler to change his plans. The essential German strategy had been to remove any resistance in the West and then to invade, thus betraying the Soviet Union and colonize its Western territories. In June 1941, with Britain still in the war, Germany attacked its Soviet ally. Now Berlin had to fight a two-front war, and Moscow and London were suddenly unexpected allies. In December 1941, Japan bombed the American naval base at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, and the United States entered the war. Now Moscow, Washington, and London formed a coalition. Together, and with the help of many other allies, these three great powers won the Second World War. But had Churchill not kept Britain in the war in 1940, there would have been no such war to fight. Churchill said that history would be kind to him because he intended to write it himself. But in his...
1: Hey, uh, that was just a little of a, a little take from on tyranny. A fascinating book by Timothy Snyder. Y'all pick it up; it's a quick read, but uh, it deals with uh, how a uh, democracy democracy such as ours here in the United States can, uh, if the citizens don't uh, keep their guards up be overtaken by a tyrant, and uh, the country become a dictatorship, uh, which is uh, some of the signs of what he's talking about is happening in this country today, y'all. So y'all check this book out, On Tyranny uh, by Timothy Snyder. Uh, It's a great read. I I just thought I'd share a I'll try to get back with uh, some more of it next week. Hey, y'all, until next week, we that's uh, just about going to do it for the Hushmo. So we'll see y'all next week. We're out of here. The
0: Hushmo Black Forum, advocated on your behalf by covering news and events affecting the African-American community. Check us out at the Hushmo Black Forum,
2: www.blogtalkradio.com.